All right. Well, good early afternoon, everyone. It's so great to see you all. I've missed you. I feel like I have been gone forever. Uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Keith Rose for covering for me last week. I heard he didn't hold back the punches and busted out the, the gloves for you. Uh, he is a militant guy, but he's a father that loves really, really well. He loves our nation. He loves our county. He loves this church, and he loves my family really well, and I love him and his family a whole lot. So he did a great job, and I want to say thank you to him. I had an incredible opportunity. My wife and I went to Majesty Outdoors Gala last weekend. We had a wonderful, wonderful time, and we got to, to unveil something we're going to be unveiling to you guys very soon, a special partnership between Rock City Church and Majesty Outdoors. Uh, I believe we're going to do that next week. I think that's what's going to happen. So you guys are going to be super excited about what God's doing. This ministry focuses on fatherless youth, troubled teens, single parents, mentorship, those that don't have fathers and understand the beauty of God's great outdoors and what life is supposed to look like. And we're going to be working together with them because that's my heart. I was abandoned when I was a child. My father left my mother and I when I was less than one. She was a 24-year-old Greek girl that had just come to the United States when she was 16 via the way of Cleveland, Ohio, then New York, then Miami, <clears throat> and she had me out of wedlock. My, both were very successful. My mom was cutting the hair of the uh, Miami Dolphins, Bob Greasy, Nick Budokani, most of y'all don't know who those people are, Larry Zonka. Some of you do. Some of you do. Yeah, we're, I'm old. That's right. I'm old. And um, she, was, she was at the prime of her career at a young age and got connected with a young attorney uh, and basically had me. That's how that went. And uh, I'm sorry, he was an attorney. He was in the music business. She was doing the hair of attorneys, but my father was in the music business. And he was managing bands like Barbara Streisand. Some of you probably don't even know who that is. You know who that is? Uh, Rod Stewart and others. And um, he wasn't ready to be a dad and hightailed it off to Beverly Hills, California, and left my mom and I when I was born. And so <clears throat> when I was six years old, my mom was cutting hair, and then she was having to work two jobs. She was a cocktail waitress at night in Coconut Grove, Florida. And uh, I spent most of my days at a very impoverished, poor, abusive babysitter's. If I get emotional, I cried a lot last service. Chances are likely that I will cry some this service, so just prepare yourself. Real men do cry, yeah. right? Real men do cry. So... Um, It's emotional for me because the message today is very personal. I remember as a child staring out the window. I, I've told you guys this, but I have this very clear memory of being awake way past my bedtime. My bed was right by some windows that looked out to the street, and I would look out that window night after night after night for years, wishing that somebody would come and get me. And... Uh, so I didn't, I didn't have a, a dad like I am today. 
and like so many of you are, and I didn't have a dad that genuinely brought me to the Lord, my mom would wind up meeting a man that I would consider my father. He never officially adopted me, but he had, in a sense, the spirit of adoption on him. In Romans 8, the, the Apostle Paul talks about the spirit of adoption. It's my favorite message. If there was one message above all that I could ever preach for the rest of my life, one message, it would be the spirit of adoption. And what it means to be taken out of a, the bondage of fear and brought into a family and to be adopted as a son and now to be co-heirs with Christ and to be called a child of God or a son of God. There's no greater title, better than Christian for me because a lot of people can call themselves Christians that aren't. But for me, my favorite message of them all is that I was adopted, I was rescued, and every single one of us were orphaned at one time. All of us, whether you had parents or not, we all were born, in a sense, with an orphan spirit and need to come to the Heavenly Father. And the number one reason why I came to the Lord wasn't because I was a sinner that was going to burn in hell. It was because I needed a Heavenly Father. It wasn't fire and brimstone, but it was love. And it doesn't mean that I don't believe that there's a hell. I'm not a universalist. But what it does mean is that we all are in desperate need of a loving Father, and we all need to be rescued, and we all have residue of a carnal nature and the fall of man from what happened in the garden. And we all need to know how we're loved as sons and daughters by a loving, caring father. And so my stepfather, we went, I wound up moving to Missouri and he taught me hard work. He taught me a great work ethic and he loved me. He told me he loved me a lot. He never abused me. He was caring. He was kind. Um, I excelled in sports. I was a state champion wrestler, conference champion, pole vaulter. I made honor roll grades until my late senior, or my late junior and senior years in high school, I got really connected with the wrong crowd. The number one mistake my earthly father made was he never brought me to Jesus. We didn't pray. He had been a, was a Presbyterian and was forced to be an altar boy when he was young. And so we never, ever went to church. He had church hurt, uh, man-made religion issues, so we never went to church. We didn't talk about the Lord. We didn't pray together. There was no fascination and wonder in the things of God. And so ultimately, I would find myself being discipled and giving myself to the normal way of the world. It's something that I often, I used to talk about this all the time, it was what I would call world normal. It's just world normal. It's just the way it is when you don't know who Jesus is. It was small town Missouri. Uh, everybody drove up and down the main street on Friday and Saturday night. It only had 20,000 people. Most people backstabbed each other by sleeping with each other's boyfriends and girlfriends. There was gossip. It was keg parties. It was drugs. It was, and, and there was no Christianity. And any Christians that I saw were the few that I knew, which I don't even know that I knew any, but the few that I knew were, you know, stuck up and snobby and didn't want anything to do with me, right? And so I had no understanding of Christ identity, no understanding of, of the dreams that I actually was having. I was having dreams. And in turn, I would wind up going the way of the world. And that would lead me down a path of incredible destruction, and I have no shame about my story 
though there are parts of my story that I wish didn't happen. I don't have in regret, but I wish they wouldn't happen because it's caused me to fight a certain fight that I don't want my kids to have to fight. Now, they're going to have to fight, and they're going to have to learn to overcome failures and struggles, but there are things that I went through that I don't want them to go through. And they'll have to choose their own path, but I'm going to give them no outs in how good God is and how powerful and wonderful God is. None. I'm going to be extra aggressive about it. Signs, wonders, visions, dreams, miracles, casting out demons, the supernatural hardship, overcoming failures, persecution. The other night I laid, you know, every now and then my son will say, can we watch a short YouTube video? I'm like, yeah, but I'm picking what it is. And so I, for the first time, showed him on the passion of the Christ what Jesus actually, the best description of what I could show him, what Jesus had to go through on the cross while I cried in the bed showing him the video and explaining to him why Jesus really did what he did while he saw Jesus being whipped and beat and nails driven through his hands on the cross. And then I explained it to him. And I have to explain to my kids why we get persecuted and why people speak bad about us and the hardships of doing what we're doing. Thorns in our flesh and difficulties and adversity and fighting for a child and adoption and all the stuff that comes with it. I don't want to shelter my kids I want to equip them now there's some things that I have to shelter them from I never in a million years would have fathomed I'm like literally in a war with Disney it's insane they have a very very clear agenda and it was not I don't do not believe it was the original intent of Walt Disney for Disney to go the direction that it's going but their agenda hands down is to direct my kids in a direction opposite of God's design and God's plan. And I hate that. I wish it wasn't so. And so, for me, I was discipled and raised by the world, and ultimately, it would lead me to selling drugs. I mean, just full-scale immersion in the world. You know, sleeping with girls and partying and keg parties and then I got roped right into the Miami scene in the late 80s. I was selling cocaine. I was selling LSD. I was taking it. I was doing it. I was on a, on a straight path to hell and destruction, and I didn't care. I did not. I was genuinely naive to the ways of the Lord. And the only Christians that I saw standing on the street corners with signs that said, turn and burn, turn or burn, repent or perish, you're going to hell, three-piece suits, People like the Westboro Baptist Church out of Wichita, which is the only church you'll ever hear me talk bad about because they're, they completely do destruction to the purpose of what we're on a mission and what Jesus was on a mission to do. Those were the types of people that I could remember. And I thought, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it, which it's not, right? <clears throat> so ultimately, I'd get busted for drugs and I'd go to prison. And I'm super, like, open. It's It's... I love the fact that I have no shame about my past, zero. There's no shame at all because God uses it for his purpose. Do I ever want my kids to go to prison? So will I fight extra hard to make sure that they don't? Yes, Yes, I will. (laughs) And so we were at Chops and Eggs on Friday and I got my kids and my wife. We went to breakfast together and while we're there, the waitress comes up. She's got a, a first day brand new guy all tatted up, tats all over his neck and his arms. And um, somehow she knew who I was because we have a girl that works there that comes here. 
and uh, she said, this is my first day. And then he just said something like, yeah, I just got out. I'm, I'm like, I know what that means. I'm like, oh, dude, man, I've been in prison. And he was, you should have seen, like, he went from so concerned of what I would think about him to just the guard being let down. And he, I'm like, my kids are there. I'm like, yeah. I tell my kids all the time, like, we're out on the road and a police car goes by and they go, there goes the police that once took daddy to jail, right? I'm like, yeah, and you better make sure you're never in, in that car either, right? Because for me, if it wasn't for prison, my life would have never changed. I found Jesus in prison. I found some of the strongest Christians in prison. I learned to tutor illiterates. And, and realized how many people don't know how to read. I learned the Bible there because they wanted to learn how to read the Bible, right? And so my journey was an incredible testimony, but in so many ways, there are things that happened that I had to wrestle with and deal with later in life I wish I never would have had to wrestle with. There's things that I was never supposed to taste and see that you and your children are never supposed to taste and see that I, that I did, that I had to deal with the residue and the ramifications. This isn't my own story. This is so many of your stories. Because once that envelope got open and once that un garden got unsealed, you saw and experienced things that now you had to fight and wrestle against through your flesh that God never intended you to wrestle with. Now he gives you the strength. He's in the overcoming. You learn and you grow. And that's so many of our stories. But let's, let's teach our kids differently. Let's make sure our kids don't have to fight that same fight. There's things that I don't want my daughter to ever, ever, ever. I don't want her to get violated. I, I want to protect her. I don't want her to lose her innocence. I want her to make it all the way to marriage. I want her to, protect, to practice abstinence. And I want her to know why. Not some weird religious teaching, but to understand God's destiny and design. I want her to also know if she fails and makes mistakes, God can restore innocence. God's good. He's faithful. I don't ever want her to have shame. I don't ever want her to walk in guilt. I don't ever want her to walk in victim mentality. So I tell them my story all the time. I, they have to learn from our stories. And some of you don't have the same story, but you have a unique story. And if you don't have my story, get them around half the people in this church. They'll tell them that story. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah. we need each other. We only see in part. You only have a small piece of the puzzle. You're my other piece. I'm your other piece. We can't do this alone. That, it takes a body. It takes a family. And so <clears throat> today... I'm passionate about this topic because as I'm getting older, I'm realizing what matters the most to God. And it's not me being great. The greatest thing that God ever set me free from was the need to be great. I'm so glad God set me free from, I'm so glad I don't have to make a, a, a podcast or a YouTube video or a Facebook post. And I could, and we got the technology and the money and I got no shortage of downloads. And that doesn't mean that I won't ever do it, but I'm not gonna do it if God doesn't say to do it. And if I'm doing it because there's the pressure or the need to be somebody, then God's gonna kill that out of you because you don't need to be anybody but like a child, which means you're statusless, statusless. We think titles and fame and notoriety and our value of what we do. God, you have to decrease 
The older you get, the more you fade. You fade out, not fading for eternity, but you fade out for the generations coming up behind you. I'm fading. By design, for a purpose, and I'm excited about it. And it creates that urgency to give more away to those that are coming behind us. So let's look at the scripture for today. It's Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark 10, 13 through 16. Then they, who is they? Probably families or parents, brought little children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid hands on them, and blessed them. Now, this is a powerful block of scriptures. Let's go back to verse 13. Here's my question. Okay, why would the disciples rebuke the families who brought the children to be prayed for by Jesus? This is, you got to ask yourself this. Now, I study commentaries, I study the Bible a lot, and there's a lot of things I read, I'm like, okay, I need to really understand this. So I'll, I'm curious to see what other theologians, you have access today on so many, so many great resources on your iPad or your phone, on the internet, great ways to study the Bible. And so most commentaries suggest that the disciples, it was kind of one of two reasons. Either A, Jesus was too busy to be bothered by children due to their insignificance, or he didn't need to be interrupted by the ministry that was taking place. Like things were happening, Jesus was moving. Picture Jesus with an entourage of disciples and people and he's healing and there's lines of people that are coming to him. The last thing that he needed was a bunch of parents bringing children. That's what most commentaries say. But I'm actually going to suggest that there's a different reason that was in play, that was at play inside the heart of man. And if we're not careful, it's going to be inside all of our hearts. Many times you don't see it. Many times you don't know that it's even there. False judgments, false perceptions, false realities, the way we size people up, the way we think, the way we think about ourselves, our self-centeredness, our selfish ambition, So many things are about us. Listen, insecurities and depression is often the result of self-centeredness because we are constantly thinking about us and our needs. And that will always lead you down the road of depression. Trust me. If I succumb to the comparisons and the what ifs and the pressures and the status and the, and the world and the news and the social medias and what other churches are doing, what other pastors are doing and podcasts and all these other things and how people feel about me and what they think about me and I'm not doing enough as a pastor and they're not and what about this and gap, 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 all that stuff will make you crazy in the head. And God's only answer it is decrease. This isn't about you. All I've ever known how to do prior to this was corporate institutionalized church. So my remedy to that is to take my hands off the cart. Because if I try to put my hand on the cart and steer this and make it corporate and institutionalized and fix everybody else's corporate itch that we bring in here, this church will go the way that it was never intended to go. Do you understand? 
like worship. Worship was off the chart today. I need these guys to run, run. I don't need canned cover band. I need prophetic NASA spaceship bombard the stratosphere. I need, I need ignition. I need engines ignited. Do you understand? And so it's like, man, why aren't they doing this? Maybe because we don't know how. And are you okay with you think it's like, oh, we got it all figured out. <laughs> man, if you only knew. You know what I got figured out? I'm watching Jesus. And whatever he says, we're going to do it. And it can be messy, but I'd rather it be a mess like this than everything institutionalized and organized. And then it's a different deception of mess. Because it looks good, but it's not good. Amen. The fastest growing ministry at Rock City Church is our Rock Kids ministry, okay? Think about this for a second. Now, they tell you don't believe everything you read on the internet, and I did not believe the stats that I read because it was a lie, right? <clears throat> if one family, so for Nueces County, the stat I saw is like the average size of a family is like 2.80. First off, where did the .80 come from? That's what I want to know. And second of all, they must not know Nueces County. Or Corpus Christi. Because it's like one family shows up at Rock City. You get the cousins, the aunts, the uncles. You get all the kids. And then you get their neighbor's friends. And it's like six kids. For every one or two adults that show up here that is in a family comes five or six kids on average. Right? And so many of these children... They've never, ever heard an accurate presentation of the gospel or ever heard the gospel at all. For some children, this is going to be their only safe place. For some of these children, this is the only church they know. For some of them, you're the only normal that they know. Isn't that a scary thought? Seriously, it's like they, they don't know what kingdom normal looks like. And their perceptions of what institutionalized denominational church is, what Christians look like, what the world looks like, they can bring that in or they don't have any idea. And so you get to teach them for the very first time ever, ever. And I can assure you, most of these kids have never had a supernatural encounter with Christ. I don't want just another Sunday school that teaches another Bible lesson. Do I want them to know the Bible? Yes, but I want us to live it so we show it to them by example and I teach them how the Bible is, is accurate to your everyday life, how the Lord wants to be imminently involved. Imminent means present and active in me and around me. I want them to see that Christ is real, not just some guy that we talk about on a Sunday or in a prayer every now and then, or just another Bible story. Story. What did they bring the kids to Jesus for? You ever think about that? To lay hands on them. My own daughter, my own daughter was healed in the children's ministry. She was sick. She wasn't feeling good. All the kids laid hands on her. Let me tell you, the stuff that's going to happen in children's ministry. On one side, your kids are going to come out and go, Mommy, Daddy, I got filled with the Spirit. I'm praying in tongues now. And if you don't pray in tongues, that's going to be a little awkward. 
that's nice, but your daddy doesn't do that. Now, I'm not saying that just to, I'm not trying to beat you up. This isn't beat the sheep Sunday. Okay, you understand that. Not out to beat you up, calm down. But I want you to understand that this ministry, what do your kids need? You are in a fight with Disney and Hollywood. If you don't show them the supernatural, the real side of the supernatural, and they don't need to keep seeing the dark side of the supernatural. They need to see life and power and healing and, and it happens in them so that it becomes real to them. It establishes them. And what age? Joshua, as a young boy, would follow Moses around everywhere that Moses went. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting and the cloud of God's presence would come and Moses would talk with God face to face in the cloud, there was little Joshua. And when Moses was like, I got work to do and would leave, guess what Joshua would do? He'd stay there. And, it, and because of Joshua's young commitment to the presence of God, he would be the one that would ultimately be anointed that when God said next and moved Moses out of the way, guess who would lead God's people into the promised land? Joshua. Guess who out of boldness when they went in and saw the giants? So we can take them all day long. Why? Because he had experienced supernatural encounters with God at a young age. My kids, oh my gosh. Let's ask my wife. They're all over. Like Zion, two mornings, two or three mornings, I woke up. Vision after vision after vision, clear, defined vision. It's like, I don't know if it was a vision or a dream. Might have been a dream, but I think it was a vision. And just blah, 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 blah. Stuff that he's seeing and taken up to heaven. He's like, I was taken up to heaven. And then I was brought back because the people didn't understand. And then my wife, two, or I'm sorry, my daughter, two mornings ago, woke up and had the most vivid dream you could ever imagine. Sitting there telling me like 10 minutes about the dream. She was in an airport and there were two um, passenger carts. You know those little beep, beep, beep passenger carts. I'm like, she's so vivid remembering passenger carts. One of them was dingy and gray and the other one was a VIP cart. And the VIP cart was beautiful and pretty and it was like coastal and it was awesome. And nobody had a ticket for the VIP cart, but everybody wanted to get on the dingy gray old beat up cart. Narrow is the way. Broad is the way to, life, to, to destruction. Narrow is the way to life. And then right behind it, she saw escalators going up, it, up to the, like the second floor, up into the sky. And she went up it and she saw musicians and all her friends were there. And then there was gymnastics over on the side. And she did the piano and then she did the gymnastics and, she, and then she woke up. And she's like, what does that mean, daddy? I'm like, you're going to walk circumspectly. Remember the word circumspectly in the Greek is the word acrobat. God calls all of us to walk through life like a gymnast. Did you know that? Or a tightrope walker. That's what I think, living on the edge. One look down, you're going down. Keep your eyes up. I interpreted the dream for her. And I said, man, I'm going to get my laptop out. I'm going to write down all your dreams. I'm going to journal all these dreams for you while I'm journaling my dreams and she's journaling her dreams. So my kids, one of the legacies my kids are going to get is a dream book of all the dreams. And I teach my kids the supernatural is normal. The supernatural is real. So now they lay hands, they pray in tongues. They're my ministry team. Anytime I travel and I can take them, they're my little laying on a hands helpers. 
For many children, what they get here on a Sunday is the most they'll get throughout the rest of the week. You need to see this. They come from toxic parents and a toxic home life, not to mention how toxic the world is to them. I'm not anti-LGBTQ. I love everybody. I'm not a God cop. I have no desire to dig up into your personal life and check you for all your sins. My desire is to cover you with the love of God. But when they're on an agenda to lead our children in a direction that's ungodly and unhealthy, I can't idly sit by and just hope God does something. God partners with his body on earth. I can't not be involved. I can't not be vocal. I can't not vote right. I can't not take the risk to tell you who I think you should vote for and lose people because the pastor, he got political. No, it's governance. And the government of God rests on the shoulders of his people. You are the body of, his, a body of Christ. You are the shoulders of God. He's the head. That's why Keith was here last week. Somebody's like, oh man, he's just too intense. Well, every now and then we need intense. So, oh, Kevin Leal, he's too mean, or I don't like this. Like, I don't want some, I don't need people always coddling me. I need correction. I need somebody to come in and check me. I need somebody to look at me and say, man, you're jacked up. And you don't get offended. I don't need Christian snowflakes. I need people that can say, man, here I am. Get in the light. Stop. I get it. We all had church hurts and institutionalized stuff. All right, let's get past that. and Let's just expose ourselves. And be nice. I'm sensitive. <laughs> be nice to Jeff and Jeremy. They're very sensitive. <laughs> now, my wife, on the other hand, she just shoot her straight. Just shoot her straight. So many new families are coming to Rock City Church that have never understood what the true Christian life and what a real worldview looks like. Hence, Rock City Church becomes their first exposure to kingdom normal, right? Think about that. You might be the first real Christian they see. This may be the first type of church they've ever, never even experienced anything like this. This happens all the time in this church. People were, some have never had any church background or whatever they've had has been really shady and dysfunctional. Some people are going to be church transplants. They were at other churches. They wanted more. They knew it was time. They had served well. God released them. But more people are going to be coming out of the world that don't know the Lord at all because ultimately the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I'm going to show you that here in a minute. So for us as parents and disciples... We have so many options to hear, receive, and be fed throughout the week. I'm telling you, like, <clears throat> and there's great content out there. There's, there's so many. YouTube, I could probably sit and watch YouTube night and day. Some of my favorite preachers. I mean, I listen to myself all the time. No. <laughs> I do go back and listen to myself because a lot of times I don't know what comes out, out right? And I want to learn. But I seriously, like my favorite ministers, worship. Uh, health, there's so many great health podcasts. I mean, I can listen to podcasts on YouTube. There's no shortage of information and even revelation I can get from other people, right? And we can be fed. But for some of these children, the Rock Kids Ministry becomes the number one huge source of life-giving relationship, power, friendships, and an opportunity for them to hear God. This isn't about us anymore. 
We got to give our kids a fighting chance on another level. And so this Sunday or Wednesday night and all the events that we do, the Res Fest that's coming up, all these things are designed to awaken kids. I mean, the kids are going to hear the most awesome, really high quality Christian reggae band that's preaching the gospel. And we're all swaying to reggae and nobody's toking doobies and drinking 40s. This is a miracle. I mean, think about it. It's different. And we can teach our kids, like, you don't have to be high to enjoy good reggae music. So let's talk about one of the most standout things in this little block of scriptures that maybe you've never thought about. Let's talk about the faith of the parents. All right? We're going to talk about the faith of the parents for a moment. It took incredible trust and fearless faith for the family members to bring children to Jesus for him to lay hands on them and pray for him. Why? They had to overcome the culture, stigma, and even hatred from religious leaders. Jesus was considered a heretic. You, you know this, right? Like Jesus was an outcast himself. The religious leaders hated him. And probably all the followers of the religious leaders, the ones that once loved him because he healed them or fed them, but now at crucifixion were shouting, crucify him, crucify the same people. The persecution, the level of hardship and suffering and overcoming just to, you probably never thought about that. So we think, oh, it's a nice little family picnic. No, everybody was watching Jesus. He was stirring up all kinds of religious demons everywhere around. It was intense. It's still intense. Go to Jerusalem today. It is, you can cut the religious air with a knife there. It's insane. And so here come the parents defying adversity, defying the culture, not much different than today, especially when you come to a church like this. Oh, you go to that tongue-talking church? Yeah, you should try it. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, oh you, your kids go back to the children's ministry, they get prayed for, healed, touched, delivered. Or here's another thing. Imagine your little child comes out and they drop a cuss word. It's like, Where'd they learn that from? The kids' ministry. Now, we didn't teach it to them, but when the hurting and the broken and the outcasts walk in here, that, that's normal language, which it, it doesn't bother me, and I don't want my kids to learn it, but again, I'm not out to shelter them. I'm out to equip them. And then the, here comes the hurting and the broken kids. It's like they let out a word. It's like you have to teach your kids like, hey, that's, that's normal for others. It doesn't have to be normal for you. And not make a big deal about it and not get upset. And I can just see the headlines on Facebook. Rock, my kid learned a cuss word in Rock City Kids Ministry. <laughs> now, fortunately, I've never had that complaint. But I'm saying, I'm saying it as a point. The purpose of why we're doing what we're doing is not another nice Sunday school. Lots of churches are doing nice Sunday schools for kids and nice lessons. And I want our kids, you're going to hear from Melody how we've written our own curriculum. But what I want my kids to have is encounters with God and know the supernatural is real. You can leave it up to me to teach them the Bible studies at home. Or my wife, she's a better Bible teacher than I am. She says, that's true. I know, I just said that. <laughs> the Action Bible we love the Action Bible. Man, it's, I love the Action Bible. 
And so the last thing <clears throat> that those parents and families should have ever had to deal with in coming to Jesus was jacked up, selfish disciples that needed to be great. Listen, understand this. The, it was a lot for the families to bring the kids to Jesus to begin with. Why would they ever have had to deal with dysfunctional, selfish disciples? They literally rebuked the families for bringing their kids to Jesus. What does rebuke mean? It was a harsh, you better step back. It wasn't like, hey, I know you really want to be, he's busy right now. Can you come back tomorrow? They wasn't like that. It was like, step back. Don't come any closer. It was, a, it was a harsh rebuke to the parents and the families. Why would those parents and families ever have to deal with disciples like that? Have you ever thought about that? They shouldn't. And that's why the world's watching. Please, please, I'm begging you. Do not talk negative about the church publicly or on Facebook ever. Why are you going to cut the hem of anybody's garment? If God put them in that place, I don't care if it's a Saul. There's a lot of churches that I, that I might have issue with and I say nothing about. <clears throat> it doesn't ever need it to be shared publicly. I don't, I don't live in their shoes. And I can tell you right now, there's a lot of things we're going to do that you're not going to agree with. Sometimes I do things I don't agree with. I'm like, what did I just do? I try not to, and that's not my heart, but stuff happened. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I go home. God, please, anything I said or did that wasn't right according to your word or that I said it in my own strength, I don't want it. And we learn as we go, and sometimes we make mistakes. And the worst thing you could ever do is, in, is fight with other people, especially in your own family, while all your lost friends are watching you type away on Facebook. Stop, please. Please, I'm begging you. It's not the outlet the world is watching. We're to be unified and, and we're all different. I don't do a doctrine check when you walk in the church. Could you imagine? Make sure your doctrine's like mine. We all probably got some odd doctrines. The key is for us to learn the word and to follow Jesus and let him do the rest and unite us by his spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. The disciples had this love for greatness Clearly, the disciples forgot what happened in the last chapter. Now, I don't think the disciples were thinking, now, last chapter ago, it was probably a day before, right? <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is in Mark chapter 9, they clearly missed what I just taught you guys about when they were fighting of who was going to be the greatest. Yeah. I can't wait to teach you how they still kept fighting, and they did it this most horrible way to get to Jesus. They sent their mom. That's a whole nother story. I mean, wow, you pulled the mom card with Jesus. Like, Jesus already told you if you want to be the greatest in Mark 9, become like a little child for such is the kingdom of God. They're the greatest. The least is the greatest. And even again later, they'd send their mom. Hey, you think in heaven my sons James and, and John can sit at your right and left hand side? It was this need to be great. The world teaches you, you need to be great. You need to look right. You need to sound right. You need to be a good example. You need to be a good witness. No, I need to look like Jesus and have my eyes on him. And I need to be whatever he tells me to be, not what everybody else wanted to groom me to be. 
And I, that's what you have to teach your children. Train them in the way they should go. Not the way you are going to tell them to go. The way they should go led by the Holy Spirit. The best thing I can teach my kids is to follow the voice of God. Just blows my mind how the disciples would have forgotten what Jesus had just taught them. And now they're keeping parents and kids away from being touched by Jesus. Obviously, the disciples saw themselves as the greatest and the children as the least. Maybe it was because they didn't want to be interrupted. Maybe they were the ones too focused on their ministry. Maybe it was their desire to be close to Jesus and not get distracted. It's like, man, I'm right by Jesus. Don't distract me. He's here now. Maybe this was their time to shine. Okay. Demonstrate their great leadership. I got to lead. I mean, just watch The Chosen. This is all of, this is exactly what was happening. The Chosen does a phenomenal job showing you the reality of the disciples' selfishness, arguing, bickering, mad at each other, divided. Maybe they needed to protect Jesus from another religious trap or setup. I don't know exactly what it was, and nobody really does, but I'm going to suggest it was not Jesus's issue, it was theirs. And what I can tell you is that Jesus wasn't happy. Jesus said to them that he was greatly displeased. He was greatly displeased. I would say to you that I'm at the greatest phase, my wife and I are at the greatest phase of our life of being greatly displeased right now. The great news is it's not at any of you or this church. To be greatly displeased means to be greatly afflicted, filled with grief, and indignant. You know what it means to be indignant? It means I'm provoked to anger and annoyance at unfair treatment. And we're in a situation, I've been telling you guys about it, but it's brought a great displeasing to us. So I can relate now to this understanding of what Jesus felt. And his first response to them was, forbid not or suffer not the children to come to him. Now I'm going to teach you briefly the kind of suffering that Jesus doesn't want you or a child to go through. See, the Bible does teach us that suffering is biblical and to rejoice in our sufferings because it makes us like him. It's part of the process. It creates an overcoming. It, it makes our skin thick. It creates a fight, a healthy fight. It causes us to know our dependence in the Lord. God uses suffering and hardship in the cross. There's a right suffering and a wrong kind of suffering. And this is the wrong kind of suffering. So when Jesus said, the King James says, suffer not, here it says, forbid not. But it literally means to disregard. Now think about it in the context of children. Don't disregard the children. Don't forsake them, leave them alone, omit them, neglect them, send them away. Wrongfully desert them, give up on them, leave them behind, abandon them, and leave them destitute. That was my story. That was so many of your stories. You suffered the wrong kind of suffering as a child. Not everybody, but a lot of you have a story like mine. That was the wrong kind of suffering. I wasn't brought to Jesus. And what happens is, is I was taught to be discipled by myself in the world. And that leads to an even greater injustice. One that I have also taught you guys about in Matthew 18, where it says, if anybody causes these little ones to sin or offends them, it would be better for a, 
a millstone would be tied around your neck and you'd be cast to the bottom of the sea. To cause them to sin or offend them is simply <clears throat> to suffer, cause them to suffer by <clears throat> leaving them alone. Could you imagine in my most difficult times if they saw me shaking my fist at God, complaining and being angry like the parents did in their tents when they wanted to go back to Egypt in the wilderness and God sent fire and now they're crying out to God to save us and I'm shaking my fist at God? Instead, I'm trusting God. I'm showing them that God is a God of justice no matter what happens. He's always a God of justice. God is never not a God of justice. He rules with justice. No matter what happens, justice will, be prevail, will prevail and be served properly. So instead of shaking my fist at God and leading them astray, I'm trusting God. But if I left them alone and I didn't point them to God, I would ultimately cause them to question the goodness of God. I've said it before, I'm gonna give my kids no outs on believing in the goodness of God, no outs. So children are left alone, children are isolated, they're abandoned. So of course they run to relationships and of course they wanna be held by other people. Of course they want to be valued. So here comes the world, here comes boyfriends and girlfriends, here comes what's normal on TV and Disney. You almost can't watch a Disney show without some sort of young teenage hookup. Seriously, it's like, it. Plant seeds into the kids that hooking up at 15 is normal. It's not. It's not normal. So ultimately, Jesus would point to our need to be like children, not their need to be like us. Think about that. Jesus would point to your need to be like a child instead of the child's need to be like me. The kingdom... For such a time as this, the kingdom is like a child. You can't receive any more of the kingdom of God unless you become like them in position. What is the position? It's statusless. We have to become like them in position in honor and trust, surrender and simplicity. It's statusless. Less of me and more of him. If God wants to promote me, great, and he has. There's stuff that I lead that I'm like, how did I ever get here? I didn't vote for this, nominate this. I naturally get put into leadership positions of all different types of things. Not because I sought it or chased it. Promotion comes from the Lord. Humble yourself and make yourself of no reputation like a child and watch what God can do. The least is the greatest. The disciples clearly missed it, but don't be like them. When we receive a child, we actually receive Jesus. And so I think to myself, we run an average of 12 services a month here. There's going to be four months this year that run an extra three services. Each Sunday, we average around 90 to 100 children, 90 to 100 children, and we're growing. If this church doubles in size, double it, double it up, 200, 300, 400, which is going to happen. Not because I'm chasing that or I need to have that or want that. God's just shown it to me. And he constantly checks my heart to make sure I'm not chasing it or trying to make that happen. Which means I got to decrease even more. And get out of the way. So we currently need 140 workers to fill 140 slots a month. Not counting any extra events we hold, which this church does a lot of extra events, by the way. 
Like we need 65 volunteers for the rest fest. We should have 300 volunteers. Like it should be like you get here and you just stand around. Why? That's the way the last one was. And you all did a great job. It's like, man, I came here to work. Well, guess what? There were so many volunteers that got done an hour ago. Why don't you go love on some people, shake some hands, grab a coffee, eat a snow cone, go play, check with Melody, check with the workers, and we all do our part. So 140 slots a month, which that would enable every child care worker or able minister or servant to only do one time a month. One time a month. One time a month. One time a month. And all those extra events, they're often paid for workers outside of the church. We dropped $11,000 last year because we had to pay people to cover events. Really? The flourish, like flourish, we had some men stand up, I found out yesterday. I think at all women's events, the men should do the childcare, which means I just nominated myself to do it one time. That's a scary thought. Just get me a, we're going to be swinging from the rafters. I need a jungle gym, a rope to swing from the ceiling. I'm bringing in candy. It's going to be a fun day. Be the first and last. No. So think about this, all right? Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. We, only, we currently have 80 servants giving their time monthly in this ministry, which leaves us 60 short each month. What does that mean? It, that means that other people who are serving have to serve more than once a month. And you know what that leads to? Burnout, schedule changes, or people resigning. I can't begin to tell you how difficult it is. There's no difficult greater ministry in this church than the children's ministry. None, and probably not another that means the most to the Lord, all right? And so when people call in last minute, it's like crazy. It's like, man, I bruised my toe. I don't know what it is. People call in all the time. And so she constantly has to fill extra slots, which means other people have to pull extra weight. The weight that Melody carries is big. The last thing I want to do is have to pressure anybody into serving. That's why I don't talk about it a lot. Instead, I challenge you to be filled with the Spirit and be obedient to Jesus and pull your weight. We all work. We all do our part for what's coming. And I believe if you hear the Lord and you grow, your heart's going to be, what can I do? How can I help? People say to me all the time, Pastor, what, how can I help you? I'm like, well, I'd really like you to come mow my four acres and weed eat for me because I hate weed eating. But then God reminds me when Israel cried out for a king. I get reminded of this all the time. And Saul was like, you don't know what you're asking for. If you get a king over you, he's going to ask you to serve all and take care of his land. That's why I don't ever ask anybody. And if anybody comes, I'm paying you. I'm going to pay you. Unless you're like, no, it's the Lord. But the truth is I can do it on my own. If you really love me, feed the sheep. Jesus said, if you really love me, feed the sheep. And then he said, tend the lambs. I just so happen to have three little, three little lambs. And they're for sale, by the way. If you want to buy them, they are for sale. Just talk to my wife. Lambs. If you love me. So I don't want to push you. 
We have a great, this is a great problem. 90 to 100 kids and growing. I mean, this is awesome. So many churches are fighting weeds in the parking lot. We're repaving the parking lot. We don't have a money problem. We have a worker problem. And you know what? That's a problem that every church I've ever been in and even Jesus said would happen. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse two. He's like, listen, the harvest, people are dying for authenticity. They're dying for the real thing and they'll do anything to get it when they find it and they'll stay when they find it. That's why so many of you are staying. But he said, look what Jesus said. The harvest is great, but the labors are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. So we don't have a harvest problem. We have a worker problem. It's not a problem with people coming or who's going to be coming. It's a problem with people working. Even Jesus said it would happen. So the real answer is not me to pressure you and beat you and twist your arm. The real answer is that at the end of this service, we're going to all pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise us up and bring in new workers to take care of the harvest as it comes in. That's the real answer, prayer, intercession. I encourage all of you to come to all the prayer sets that we have. And our heart, one of the gaps we're going to fill here at the church as it's, it's growing into it is night and day prayer. I'd like to see night and day prayer here. So we don't have a worker problem. We have a people problem. Not everybody's going to be called to serve in the children's ministry. Like, listen, if you really just do not like children, first, I'm going to pray for you. And I, you need to talk to me. Second of all, it's okay if you're like, man, God's got to work on me. Maybe you don't need to be. I don't want you to be back there. It's like, man, those little runts and those kids. I don't want that. But I would say that sadly, most people won't listen to the call based on predeterminations they made for various reasons or because they don't want to miss what happens in the sanctuary. Like super normal natural nights. Every time I walk in, there's Melody. She's sweating. She's like, I, she's, you need to end on time today. Brr. Sorry. That's, I got issues. It's my own filter. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But it's a struggle. She is sweating. Why? Because nobody wants to miss supernormal natural. And it's electric. Prophecy, dreams, it's powerful. I get that. But what do you think Jesus cares more about? You'll, God knows. You, you'll get your word. I don't want anybody to go through this church. There's been some people that have sat in this church for a real long time that didn't get a word for years. Prophets came, and then one day when they got it, it was like the right time. A word fitly spoken at the right times, like apples of gold and cities and silver. God cares that we care for the children. So here's my request to you, that you ask, listen, obey, and sacrifice. Ask, listen, obey, and sacrifice. Let's say that together. Ask, listen, obey, and sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice. It's rarely ever convenient. Ever. I never, I can rarely say, oh man, this is perfect timing for me to serve. It's perfect timing for me to show up. And if it is one day, just the next day, it's going to be like, man, I don't even want to go sometimes. But God sees you being faithful in the little. The question is, are you serving and giving of your time selfishly or selflessly? Selfish or selfless? So I'm going to close with this. Don't be like the disciples. Here's who I want you to be like in the story. I want you to be like the parents or I want you to be like Jesus. 
Be like the parents or be like Jesus. Do not be like those disciples were. Don't be like them. Remember, you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you. You don't have a little bitty seven-pound baby Talladega night Jesus. (laughs) When you give your life to Jesus, you get all of him. Why did the parents bring their children to Jesus? Not, oh, let's have a nice little pretty Bible story. No, they were aggressive, and they came because they knew if Jesus could touch them, they would be blessed, healed, strengthened, and equipped for the journey that's ahead, right? You can be the parent or Jesus. When you touch a child, listen to this. This is a great word God gave me. When you touch, I'm sorry, when a child touches you, they touch Jesus, Okay, when you touch a child, you touch Jesus. This is why we're partnering with Majesty Outdoors. This is why my number one message is the spirit of adoption and fatherless youth. This is why God says as we get older, you fade and you start to realize what really matters. This is why we have to give our children the best fighting chance of their lives in an insane spun out. It's a nut world out there, but it's also a beautiful time to be alive. I'm excited. I'm teaching my kids stuff that is so incredible. It's hard. It's overcoming, but they're learning the reality of serving Christ by how my wife and I serve Christ. For such is the kingdom. Children. 